Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. G'day and welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. Darren Mitchell here on this Thursday, the 24th of November, 2022. Happy Thanksgiving for our friends in the United States and everybody else. Hope you're having a fantastic Thursday as we move very, very quickly to the end of the week and moving ever so quickly to the end of the month. And uh, it's uh, four weeks today until Christmas Eve, 24th of December. I cannot believe how quickly time is going. So I trust you and your team are doing exceptionally well and laying the foundations for an extraordinary finish to the calendar year. And if you have your financial year finishing at the end of December, hopefully you're ramping up to a very, very fast finish and a very productive finish to your financial year. So as we jump into today's episode, uh, this week seems to be a bit of a theme. I've, I've run a number of workshops and I've got a couple tomorrow that I'm running around negotiating. So I wanted to talk about negotiation skills and the fact that we are always, always negotiating. Now, one thing I have learned over my life is that fact, that we are always negotiating something, uh, whether it be a multi-million dollar deal at the uh, at our business, whether it be buying a car, buying a um, buying a new computer, buying a buying a TV. Or in fact, attempting to get our partners or our uh, kids to do something. We are always negotiating something. Now, I um one thing one thing that's really close to home is we've got an eight-month-old border collie by the name of Millie, gorgeous, gorgeous girl, um, blue merle, uh, bright blue eyes, and uh, has well, let's just say has me wrapped around her paws. I was going to say wrapped around her little fingers, but she doesn't have. She's got little little toes, but um. Trying to negotiate with her on a daily basis is uh, is a fascinating exercise because if she wants to do something, she will do it. If she doesn't want to do something, she will not do it. And me trying to negotiate with her and trying to incentivize her to do things that I want her to do because it's in her best interest is often a challenge. Now, I often wonder what would, how would it be if Millie could actually talk? Uh, very, very intelligent these dogs, but uh, if just if I often think if they could talk, how much more difficult would it be to negotiate? I just, I just it beggars belief. And when I look at dealing with human beings, it sometimes it's hard enough to deal with different humans because of different personal styles and different uh, perceptions, different levels of emotions, different backgrounds, different beliefs. But uh, dealing with a dog, completely different story. So in today's episode, I just wanted to talk about some finer points of negotiating. And for for some of you, it might be a bit of a refresher, uh, some things to think about, particularly if you're doing a lot of negotiation uh, with external parties, but also if you've got an internal role, we're doing a lot of internal negotiations, trying to get people's um, uh, Mindshare might be having to negotiate on certain uh, individual uh, processes or individual uh, cost allocations, etc., etc. Because hopefully, out of today, I can give you a couple of points to maybe uh, take on board, to at least be aware of, to implement in your next negotiating conversation. Because here's the thing that I've found that some of us do this really, really well. And when I say some of us, I'm not talking about me, I say some of us in terms of people. Some people do this really, really well. And many don't do it very well at all. There are different styles that people use in negotiations, and some people, 
you would probably agree, are very, very difficult to negotiate with to the point where you're often thinking to yourself, geez, I have to actually go into a negotiation with this person because I know it's just going to be hard work. Well, that's the style of negotiation that the other person is potentially utilizing to get an outcome they're looking for. Now, one of the key, I guess, overarching principles that I want to put on the table here is when it comes to negotiation, what we should be thinking about is being a principled negotiator, which means that we need to be thinking about what are the interests and the positions that we have, but also understanding and trying to get to the point of what are the interests and positions of the other parties to the point where we can negotiate an outcome that will be a win-win. So there's two key principles or two key things I'd like to cover off in today's episode. One is just talk at a high level about the different styles of, of negotiation that you might come up against. And in fact, you might actually use yourself, but putting some labels to it in terms of identifying the type of style and some of the things to think about but also provide a really simple uh, framework or process for negotiation that if we follow this and think about some of the key points in each of the steps, we can actually set ourselves up for a really good outcome that hopefully more times than not will deliver outcomes that are mutually beneficial to both parties. And particularly if you're in a position where you're having to negotiate with uh, the same organization or the same people over and over again, you certainly don't want to be in a position where you're burning bridges to the point where the other party is either not wanting to negotiate with you or they're taking a stance which is uh, probably a different stance that they would normally take if we created a, a platform where we've got a win-win intention. So the first thing is let's talk about the different styles. There's five different styles of negotiating that you may come up against or you may actually be using yourself. Now, now, there's two two of these five are the ones that are most common, but I'll just go through at a high level what the what the five are. The first one is a competitor. So somebody who is quite competitive, typically is a person who has their own interest at the forefront of their mind and not so much the other party's interest at the forefront of their mind. So what they'll be doing first and foremost is trying to position themselves to the point where they're pursuing their own needs before anybody else's needs, and in some cases, not even considering the other party's needs. They have a very narrow focus, and in many cases, have a short-term focus in terms of the gains they can get. What they will do is they'll try to use power, and they'll try to use tactics to get what they want, including their personality. It might be positional power, economic threats, but also starting to think about when it comes to negotiations, they're going to want to have you come to them either at their place of business or somewhere where they feel comfortable. So they want to create a home ground advantage because that gives them a bit more power in the negotiations. On the other end of the scale, you've got what's called an accommodator. And an accommodator has a a huge amount of concern for other people, but not as much concern for themselves. So the relationship is everything for them. And they think that winning people over is achieved by giving them what they want and thinking that if they do that, then the relationship will be built and there'll be some level of reciprocation that comes back. So they'll be generous in giving information. They'll also be generous in giving potentially uh, concessions when it, when it comes to the actual nitty gritty of the negotiation. And they're well liked by people and they want to be well liked, but sometimes they can be taken advantage of, particularly by the competitors who know that they have the wood over them and they know they can get whatever it is they want to get out of these people. So there is there are some people out there who are accommodators. You've also got the third one, which is the avoider. And the avoider is a person uh, who dislikes conflict, doesn't like conflict, wants to avoid conflict at all, at all cost. And rather than confront an issue directly, they may take revenge. They might be a bit of a sniper behind the, behind the scenes. They might be one of those like passive aggressive type people who will do some stuff behind the scenes they won't necessarily say they won't necessarily have the conversation with you and in many cases they'll want to avoid 
having the conversation or even entering into the negotiations. Now, if you do have somebody in the negotiations and the other party is being very, very competitive, sometimes the person on the other end of that can of can create the avoidance strategy and which is a typical reaction to somebody being really competitive. They'll avoid answering the question. So think about a politician, if you like. They are the classic avoiders. I would also call them the classic deflectors, but in the case of a negotiation, often the avoiders are the ones that will not answer the questions directly and maybe even ask for a timeout of the negotiation so they can uh, recalibrate, uh, think about what's been going on. And one of the strategies from that is they may avoid getting back into the negotiation room. So the avoider is, is one to be conscious of. The next one is a compromiser, number four. And the compromiser is somebody who kind of sits on the fence. They're, they have a, a medium concern for themselves, but also a medium concern for others as well. So they often ignore the fact that those who take extreme positions end up with more. And they might give the impression that they're actually giving away value or they're actually negotiating, but what often they're doing is haggling. And on occasions, they'll decide to split the difference thinking that's the best outcome, but it's not necessarily conducive to great win-win Outcome. So you will potentially come up against compromise. Now, what I'm not saying here is you don't compromise. And in fact, in many negotiations, there will be a level of bargaining and there will be a level of compromise that needs to be made. But we need to be really clear on what those uh, what those ground rules are in and around the things that we do compromise on, and certainly the things that we do uh, concede on. Where we ultimately would love to get to, and the and I guess the finest form of of negotiation is the style known as the collaborator. And the collaborator has a high concern for themselves, but also a high concern for others as well. So they're really clear on what their interests are, what their positions, but also want to understand the interests and positions of the other party as well. And what they're trying to do is, as much as possible, create mutual value. So it's a true win-win outcome. They're insisting and will continue to insist that their needs are met, but they'll also fight for the needs of the other party as well and look for common ground. And they'll look at growing the pie rather than splitting up the pie. So it won't be necessarily compromising. They'll actually see, okay, well, how can we make this pie even bigger so we actually get a better outcome for both parties? Now, out of those five, the competitor, the accommodator, the avoider, the compromiser, and the collaborator, based on experience, uh, what you'll find most of all is either the competitor or the collaborator when it comes to uh, negotiations. Now, again, what you have, what we need to be thinking about, and particularly if we're going to take on one of these styles, is thinking about, okay, what impressions are we creating and what conditioning are we putting in place for the other people in terms of how to deal with us? So if we are a natural competitor and we're looking for the very best deal that we can get, if you're now negotiating with somebody who you know you have to have a long-term relationship with, then maybe the competitive streak is not necessarily the best approach in the short term, because it might actually set up a bit of a bit of a challenge for future conversations, for future negotiations. So always look to as much as you possibly can to be a collaborator, because as a principal negotiator, that is the best form of negotiation, particularly when you can get mutually beneficial outcomes and set up a platform for future conversations and for future negotiations. So they're the five different styles. Now, when it comes to actually the process of negotiation, there is a lot of programs out there that have really, really elongated, very, uh, very detailed, very complex negotiation steps. In working with teams, and certainly when I look back on the negotiations that I did in corporate for many, many years, uh, the simplest processes that we put in place were often the most effective. So there's a five-step process that I want to uh, just give you a high-level overview on that not only is pretty easy to follow, but if we're aware of some of the key principles within each of the steps, it should set ourselves up for a really 
good negotiation experience and in most cases get a good outcome for both parties. Now the presupposition here of course is there has to be an intention for both parties to reach some form of an agreement because really when you think about it if there's no if there's no uh, agreement in terms of what a good outcome would look like then what's the point of having negotiation so that becomes a win-lose and really why would we even bother jumping into the negotiation at all so the five-step negotiation process is is simply this introductions information sharing option generation bargaining and then the agreement finalization. So the first part is the introduction. So this is and this is what I found, a group I did a negotiation skills program with this week found this really challenging. And I often say to teams that the, the introduction part of any negotiation is, it sounds simple, but it's actually one of the most uh, difficult things to do because most people want to jump into the negotiation, into the content, into the nitty gritty really, really quickly and get to the crux of what we're here to talk about. The introduction is really important because it sets the foundation for the entire negotiation. So there are specific things that we need to be mindful of when it comes to setting up the introductions. Now, when I talk about relationship building, when I talk about rapport, sometimes people's eyes gloss over and they think, oh, that's just you know mumbo jumbo woo woo stuff. Let's just get into the crux of what we're here to talk about. Well, they're missing a very important point because if we can establish a level of rapport, we can set the tone, start to build rapport with the other parties, understand the different roles that people are going to play, put the time constraints in place, put a structure in place in terms of the format, also think about what are the main points we're going to talk about, and as part of that, establish what is the key outcome we're looking for, it actually starts to create a platform from which we can actually build a great negotiating experience for both parties which means we have to be clear on three different things. One is the perceptions we might have about any person in the negotiating uh, conversation. That is perceptions I've got about the organization, but also perceptions I have about individuals. I've also got to be aware of emotions that are playing out. So people become very emotional in, in negotiations and sometimes end up saying things and doing things that perhaps if they had their time over again when they're reflecting, they wouldn't say. So we need to be really conscious of emotions playing out. And the third part of this is the communication skills that we employ throughout the conversation. So that is not only the questions that we ask, the things we put on the table, but also our ability to listen to what the other party is actually putting on the table. So the introductions part is all about setting the framework. Now, if we do the introductions really well, it paves the way for step two, the information sharing, to be a really good, I guess, segue into the crux of the negotiation. The information sharing part is really to identify what are the interests of the other party as well as what is their position. So what are they looking to achieve? Are we are we heading in the right direction? Do we have completely diagonally opposite objectives and intentions? And if that is the case, is there any common ground potentially that we can identify that enables us to have some form of negotiation? So the interest and the positions part, step two, is really about trying to identify is there a zone where we could have a possible agreement. Now, this takes the communication skills. It takes putting things on the table. It takes us sharing information about what we're looking for, what we're not prepared to do. So we know where we're actually going to be playing in terms of negotiation. So if we do this well, and it presupposes again that both parties are looking to get to some level of agreement. When we can do this, we can actually then think about, okay, where where are our walkaway positions from both parties? What is our ideal situation for both parties? And hopefully based on that conversation collectively, we can work out an area or a zone where there might be a possible agreement. 
That then paves the way for step three, which is what we call option generation. Now, option generation is when we're thinking about, and this might take us to think outside the square because many times when we're thinking about negotiating, we're going in with our own perceived ideas as to what the ideal outcome is. And sometimes we can have a little bit more of a, a fixed mindset, thinking about, well, this is, the, this is the size of the pie that we're working with, and therefore the pie is a finite size. The options generation component is to start thinking about, well, if the pie was bigger, could we work with the other party to grow the pie to create an even bigger win-win position for both parties so that both people and both parties get a better win out of this situation, out of this negotiation? So the options generation is about brainstorming, thinking about, okay, how can we put things on the table that potentially gives an opportunity for both parties to get more from what out of the negotiation or out of the, out of the conversation than perhaps they thought they'd get when they entered into the conversation, therefore the pie becomes bigger. And this is one point that many organizations and many teams and many individuals neglect to look at or choose not to look at because they've got their eyes fixed on, this is the size of the prize and nothing's gonna deviate from that. All we're saying here is the option generation, just start thinking about, could we make the size of the pie? Could we make this opportunity? Could we make this idea bigger than what it started? And is there an opportunity for both parties to win if we can put our heads together and think about some ideas to grow the pie? So that's what options generation is all about. Now, once that's done, you might have some things on the table now that has some merit. And from that, we can start doing the negotiation, which is where you get to this next step, which is step four, when we're bargaining. Now, bargaining is about how do we actually get to a position where both parties can win and we're getting an outcome that is conducive to, a, hopefully, a long-term productive relationship where both parties will walk away feeling as if they've got something of merit from that negotiation, which means we're potentially gonna to have to make some concessions and we might have to do some compromising. Now, when this happens, what we've gotta think about is how do we label these concessions? How do we potentially define and demand a level of reciprocity? So when I'm gonna give something to the other party, I've gotta think about, okay, if I give this, now, it might be I'm going to give a discount. I'm going to give a discount on a product or a service that is part of a deal. What is something that they can give me back in return that is of value to me, but not necessarily as more, as valuable to them? And so when it comes to doing all this sort of stuff, we've got to be thinking about how do we make some concessions without giving away the house, without asking for things that are too onerous, but working together to work out, can we get to a position where both parties win? and we get to an agreement where we can both sign off on it. So it will mean that there'll be some toing and froing. And there might be some argument, there might be some argy-bargy, but if the intention is, and this is why the importance of the introductions is so critical, if we've set the ground rules, if we set the understanding we want to get to an agreement, we can actually have some robust conversations here, and we can really delve into the detail and really work out what's going to work and what's not going to work. And if something's not going to work, then obviously provide some reasons as to why it won't work. But instead of saying, no, it's not going to work, maybe offer an alternative, which is why we go back to growing the pie and options generation and think, okay, we can't do this, but this is potentially something we can do with the intention of getting to an agreement. So the bargaining part is, is I guess, the, the crux of the negotiation, but all the preceding steps are so critical in order for us to have a really robust and hopefully mutually beneficial bargaining conversation. And then the final step is step number five, which is the agreement finalization. And I don't really cover this off a lot because essentially this is just a rubber stamping the things we've spoken about, making sure we've recorded all of the ideas we put on the table, all of the conditions we put on the table, and all of the, I guess, concessions. So everything recorded 
is is what's been detailed and that becomes some form of an agreement whether that's a detailed contract whether that's a, a memorandum of understanding whether that's a letter of intent whatever the whatever it happens to be the the process you go through it's just finalizing what it was that we've actually agreed on and who authorized the agreement and what the sign-offs they are that we need to need to have so hope that helps uh, it certainly helped the teams that i was working with and i've got another couple of teams tomorrow they were taking uh, the teams through this sort of process. And uh, what I have found is the teams that are uh, playing this out and are utilizing this are getting some great results and in many cases getting better results than they thought they'd get before entering into negotiations by simply following five key steps, but also having a mindset that we want to generate a mutually beneficial outcome. And in most cases, they're actually achieving that outcome as well. So one last piece of, I guess, guidance that I like to put on the table, and this is something that you probably won't find in many books, but when it comes to negotiation, avoid as much as you possibly can having your negotiating parties sitting opposite each other. And I learned this the hard way back in my telco days, where I'd be sitting with account managers, with lawyers, and we'd have the CIO, CEO on the other side with their lawyers, and we're playing literally negotiation tennis. It wasn't until we actually repositioned the, the chairs on the table and in some cases got to a round table that negotiations actually started to really ramp up and we got some great outcomes. So as much as you possibly can, try to have people on a 45 degree angle or if you can set up your rooms to negotiate, we've got a round table and not have people opposite. So don't have your team on one side and the other team on the other side intersperse everybody and mix it up that creates a different dynamic and it creates a different environment and as weird as it sounds it actually ends up creating some really great outcomes so i hope that message helps i hope those uh those tips and i hope that process is of value to you and to your team when it comes to negotiating now if you'd like to have a conversation about this love to jump on a call and either talk about negotiating helping your team become better negotiators helping you become a better negotiator or in fact helping you become a better leader helping you become an exceptional leader so I do have some spaces opening up for a couple of new clients. And if you're interested and if you're committed to taking your leadership to an exceptional level, I'd love to have a conversation about potentially helping you do just that. Two ways to do that. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know the drill. Leadwithdarren.com. Pick a time. We'll jump on Zoom, have a chat. Or if you want to come directly to me, 0412 is the number. Just send me a text. Or if you're outside of Australia, plus 61. 412 So very much look forward to having that conversation. And as always, look forward to sharing with you on the very next episode of the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. All the best. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it, But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.